Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. So recently, we lost a great advocate for basic income, technologist, entrepreneur, and most recently, a sci-fi author, Gerald Huff, who died of pancreatic cancer on November 17th. Near the end of his life, Gerald wrote Crisis 2038, a sci-fi techno-thriller which features basic income as an important part of the plot. Gerald was really a great champion for basic income. He was, he was based here in the Bay Area. He was very involved in, in our work here. And his book he's published, that was really his big final contribution to the basic income movement. So I had a chance to sit down with his daughter, Jane, who, who worked with him towards the end on the book, as well as Scott Sands, who, who knew Gerald well and, and had frequently talked to him about this, and, and talked to them about, about his life, his advocacy for basic income, and, and his book. So here's Jim's conversation with Jane Huff and Scott Santons. So Jane, to start with, can you tell us about what drove Gerald's passion for basic income? Yeah, so he worked in Silicon Valley, and I think through that it sort of became really clear to him that technological unemployment was inevitable. Um, he was very involved with politics and social issues and was really concerned about kind of just the you know income divide and you know the income gap in the country and just the political divide and i think for him he he was worried that just politicians were mostly weren't really discussing a real solution to the problem and they were talking about how innovation will bring more jobs but he knew that you know as we automate more and more that there's going to be less jobs and i think for him he didn't see that as a bad thing in itself because he knew that the types of jobs that would be disappearing were the jobs that humans might not really want to do anyway and so he was thinking of it as you know it's this future of abundance where people wouldn't have to worry about their basic needs because of all the technological advancement but that the political system wasn't really changing fast enough and so, you know, people would be losing jobs and not being able to get those basic needs because the political system wasn't really helping with that. And so he was really invested in, you know, social change and wanted to figure out a solution to that problem. And I think when he found out about basic income, that really, that idea really seemed to him to be the best solution to this problem and implemented in the right way could really allow the whole society to really benefit from the technological abundance without you know, people having to compromise their own basic needs. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Scott, you and I have both known Gerald for, for several years. Um, I think it was back in 2016 when the really the modern basic movement was really just starting to take off. We were all doing regular video calls to discuss our respective organizing ad advocacy efforts. C can you just talk a bit about what, what your relationship with Gerald was like over this time? Yeah, so I actually um, like first started talking and, and interacting with Gerald back in I was late 2014. It was really I, he first reached out to me as um, you know kind of curious about the, uh, the the basic income Earth Network or sorry the US Big conference that was going to happen in in New York, and uh, he was just like he wrote an article fairly soon after that, and then he actually helped organize the first World Summit on Technological mm -hmm. Unemployment. And uh, he and both the organizer wanted me to to be there to to speak at it, which was amazing. And so that's actually where I first met him. And you know, we um, we just went back and forth uh, over emails and and stuff. And you know, he would he asked me um, you know to look at things, and it was great. Like he he uh, just all on his own just really dug into the data for productivity, 
by like job skill sets and, and stuff to kind of see like a breakdown of kind of what was happening as certain jobs were eliminated and certain new jobs were created. And uh, he, he found something and when he found it, you know, he, he let me know right away because uh, it was just so fascinating. And the, the finding that, that he found just digging into this data was that here we are, we're automating the stuff that's like really kind of our most productive jobs. Um, and then we're creating all these new jobs that are low skill and they're actually the least productive jobs. It's an interesting part of the conversation as to like in ex explaining why productivity is somewhat slowing despite advancing technology, which is like, you know, one of those kind of uh, observations that people who are like to believe that technological unemployment and, and disruption isn't happening will say, oh, well, obviously we're not really automating. Obviously it's not really a danger because we're not seeing it in the productivity numbers. But like if you do dig into these numbers, it, it does, it, the story that it creates is actually makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I definitely had some conversations with folks where, where that seems to be a, a bit of a point of confusion. Now, Jane, just before you pass, Gerald finished writing and publishing a book, Crisis 2038. And without spoiling the plot for, for listeners, can you generally tell us what the book is about? So the book is a techno thriller that has a moral imperative. It takes place in the year 2038, and it sort of is describing our society as having increasing technological unemployment and sort of beginnings of civil unrest. Um, you know, it's a lot about there's the divide of political ideologies and kind of throughout the book, these two competing sides or voices come up, which is the pro-technology side and sort of the anti-technology side. It's written through the eyes of a diverse set of characters from college students to senators and software engineers and, you know, this domestic terrorist group that's very anti-technology. And so it kind of is a whole battle playing out of what to do about technological unemployment through all these different people. And you actually worked with Gerald to finish up his book. Can you yeah. just talk a bit about what that process was like? Yeah, so he was actually had started writing the book, I think about five years ago and was had kind of written a few drafts on and off. And he got, you know, feedback from me and other family members and close friends and, you know, kind of had written multiple drafts of it. And actually this past spring, he got to the point where he was he was done with it and he was ready and he knew that he wanted this book out in the world. Um, and so he had started working with a self-publishing service and, you know, hired a cover designer and got kind of got started with that process. Um, and so once he was, he was diagnosed with cancer in end of September, October, he had already started the publishing process, but, you know, it suddenly became very important to get it done quickly. And so his sister, my aunt, was kind of the main contact person with the publishing service. And the two of us worked closely, you know, with him while he was sick to make sure that the book got out and that it was exactly what he wanted it to be. So they did all the formatting and they sent us proofs and, you know, we had to go through multiple versions. And, you know, even though he was sick and kind of rapidly getting worse, he, you know, insisted on talking with them on the phone and making sure, you know, all the italics were correct and the formatting was exactly right. And the ebook version was really important to him. And so by the time we got the proof for the ebook, he had actually you know, stopped all treatment and we kind of knew that he had very little time. And it really like the last few weeks, he wasn't, he was kind of barely had any energy and really wasn't doing a lot. But then he, 
you know, kind of held on and we got the ebook proof and he, you know, at first he was a little concerned about it, but then he looked at it again and decided it was ready. And so we accepted that and he actually passed away the following night. And the morning after he passed away, the ebook was available on Amazon. Um, so he really kind of held on what energy he had, um, to the end to make sure that, you know, he knew that the book was going to be out there and published because he, he knew it had an important message and he just wanted it to get as wide of an audience as it could. Wow. Scott, you had a chance to, to look at the book, I think, both early on and, and maybe more recently as well. And I mean, particularly given the process here, I, what impact could this have on people's views on basic income and, and the larger debate? Yeah, I got to read an early version back in the spring. It's interesting to see like these, how he took like, um, uh, like it, it was, it was definitely, there was this, the, the skeleton of the story was there. And I feel that he's kind of really added the, the, the meat to it more like details here and there and kind of fleshed out the world a little bit more. It's really interesting to, to see the way this imagination worked to, to come up with these various kind of, um, kind of futuristic, uh, you know, ideas of, of what could be happening in the future. I, I like how in the, in the book, Gerald mentions this, uh, this chain of, of coffee, um, automated coffee stores. It's like a supernova and, uh, it does coffee really well. It's able to, to, you know, do this great product for a cheaper price. Uh, people love it. It's, uh, very handy. And then it gets into like burgers and, and I, it, it reminds me kind of too, of, of um, this book called Mana that got is really like kind of a key component of what got me into the, seeing how important basic income uh, is. So I think when you this idea of you know what kind of effect it can have on the conversation, uh, if it can if it can do to to people out there, um, you know what Mana had to do for for me, uh, and I know it Im Mana impacted others as well. You know it's these kinds of of books, I, I think fiction can have a very strong impact on people to kind of try to f really visualize what the future uh, is going towards without changing, and also what the future could be if we do make the necessary changes. And I think that's kind of, you know, really um, kind of like the, the kind of the core element of this book is getting to people to realize that the direction that we're going is just not a not a good idea, and um, a lot of bad things can potentially happen, and it's really up to us um, to to build the future that we want instead of the future that's kind of just going to happen if we don't really make a conscious effort to create a better future. So, so both a warning, but also rather than just leaving it there and letting people fall into fatalism, actually maybe shining a light on 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 actually making things better. Jane, do you have a sense for where Gerald hoped the basic income movement would go in the years ahead? Yeah. Yeah, I think he he wanted it to be more of a mainstream topic, especially in politics. He wanted people to be actually talking about it because, you know, sometimes there's some political candidates who have thought about it or have, you know, known about basic income but haven't really talked about it on more of a mainstream level. And so I think he really wanted you know, more people to know about it, more people to be talking about it. And he also wanted just action to be taken. So he wanted it to be implemented and he wanted politicians and other people to really, you know, do something about it and 
try to actually start creating policies or creating a movement that would actually have tangible change. Well, those were actually all the questions I I had for for both of you. Um, Jane, I'm curious, is there anything else you'd like to share? I think that's pretty much everything. I think really just that, you know, my dad cared a lot about, you know, about the future and about, you know, he put a lot of work into this book. And I think that he really wanted to make sure that he left his legacy and that this book was out in the world and that it could actually get people to, again, to start talking about basic income in a way that would actually potentially make real change in the world. So, you know, I think he just wanted to have as wide an audience as possible and, you know, to make, to make a change in the world. Well, I think it sounds like something that should be of interest to many, many of the folks in the space. So, so hopefully it'll start getting out there a lot more. Could I add one more thing before we head out? Please do, Scott. I just wanted to say that there was, uh, there's, there's like an Easter egg that he put in the book that I think, um, you know, says a lot about him and the way that he looked at things. And uh, also kind of, I think, summarizes really the, like the philosophy of the book itself and, and stuff. And so this Easter egg they put in there, it's, it, it wasn't in the draft that I read. And I, I read it and he put it in the final version. And it's one of those things where so many people are going to read this and they're not going to know, um, you know, what happened to him and the reasoning, you know, they'll just uh, may just read the book and see it's an interesting story and like it. Um, but so he adds this part in the book where there's just, it's just a, an interaction between characters and someone says that, um, you know, they, in this, in this future, there's these technologies or kind of implants that go into people's bodies and they're called uh, med plants, medical implants. And it mentions that, uh, someone's life was saved uh, because they had um, they were diagnosed early with pancreatic cancer and because of that because of the early detection from the med plant and because of the nanobots you know the probes they wrote to, to put in there to they could actually cure it and you know here's this disease was something that would have been fatal just uh, 10 or 15 years before that's what he puts in the book so you know, here I thought it was just really interesting that that um, that he put that in there because like he he knew what technology was capable of, and the kind of the key point of the book really is that you know technology can do so many great things, and we should allow and, uh, and enable technology to to do these great things. You know, it could it can really save lives it, if we had te- if the technology was just slightly more advanced, his life could have been saved. So we, we technology is is this this great thing, but it's also something that could be used in in damaging ways. So like right after that moment in the in the book, he also mentions that the same med plants uh, got somebody fired because their employer was able to detect that they were taking a nap on the job. <laughs> so it you know it mentions like both sides of the coin here. Uh, where where technology can do really incredible things, it can save lives. And on the other hand, it, it can really be exploitative and abusive. It can leave people worse off. So it's really, it just depends on how we use it, and it depends on the actions that we take. And uh, you know, Gerald uh, really he wanted us to see that. He I, I think he wanted you know this book to to help people see that and to get people to realize that that really we should be embracing technology 
the the last thing we want is that people to fight against technology like the uh you know the um anti kind of new luddite movement in the in the story and i i think there's that potential that people could start pushing against technology and you know here we have this this technology could be great and it could really push humanity forward so hopefully people will read this book and and um, really appreciate where we could go if we just make um, the right decisions and really work together to to make it happen and I, I think that's really what he was going for yeah and yeah, go ahead Jane oh I just was gonna agree I think that again his kind of message or his idea was that technology really can do so many great things as long as we use it in the right ways and really think about it as just, you know, benefiting humanity. And, you know, that again, there's sort of, we have to change the political systems and the societal systems in order to, you know, be able to really experience that abundance that we can get with technology versus trying to be against the innovation and the improvement of technology. That was Jim Pugh with Jane Huff and Scott Santons on the Basic Income Podcast. You can order the ebook for Crisis 2038 on Amazon, and you can also pre-order it as a paperback. Yeah, the book is really, it's, it's about the basic income movement. So those of you who consider yourselves part of the space, you really want to check this out. And on top of that, it's, it's an enjoyable read. It's, it's a novel. You get to imagine this world where you see what our movement can do. And yeah, I just want to say a big, a big thank you to Gerald for, for making this contribution in, in his final days. And We'll miss you, Gerald. Thank you for listening to the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Please rate us and review us on the service of your choice and tell your friends. Also, one final announcement. We are going on a break for a few weeks, so we will be rebroadcasting some of our favorite episodes, and we will see you with some new episodes in January. Mm -hmm.